All right. Welcome, everybody, to our experience, the ASCP podcast. I'm Chad Wurz, alongside my tag team partner, Tom Hansel, and we are going to rage against the machine a little bit today. We're going to talk about drug pricing and really the insulin cliff that's been created by the Medicare $35 mandate for insulin. It seems like the sky is always falling in long-term care pharmacy, and sometimes the noise around certain issues can reach fever pitch. The insulin cliff is at issue for 2023. Pharmacies are going to lose revenue and profit because of the insulin edict. Since we only reimburse pharmacy for products, this threatens the pharmacy bottom line significantly. So we're going to talk about the reality of this change and what pharmacies are doing about it. And we have a special guest with us today, Matt Lewis, who is the Chief Commercial Officer for SPS Health. Welcome to the show, Matt. Chad, it's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to uh, the discussion, and thanks for having me on. Well, I think you're a, you're a key person to ask this question. I know that you have a meeting coming up with your clients, and I know this is on the agenda because I think I'm helping talk about it, but why don't you go through <laughs> the implications of $35 insulin? Yeah, so I think what's, what's interesting about this is, you know, it all stems back to the beginning of March when uh, there was a few press releases that came out within a couple weeks of each other from Eli Lilly, Nova Nordis, Santa Fe about this drop or reduction in list price. And I think that opened up everyone's eyes and was saying, you know, what's this actually mean? And uh, when we started kind of talking through it and understanding really how and why this is happening, I think the pharmacy started to panic a little bit. And so we kind of turned to, okay, let's understand this. Let's really understand the impact behind it, but also the why behind it. So I think really the confusion at first was, you know, you've got this American Rescue Plan Act that was passed last year by the administration, and then you've got this Inflation Reduction Act that was also passed. And the insulin impact actually was tied to this American Rescue Plan Act, not so much the Inflation Reduction Act. So it's always nice to kind of clarify that and just so the audience knows that the American Rescue Plan Act was really the driver behind this. And I guess for simplistic terms, basically, they're doing a look back at the rate of price increases compared to the rate of inflation. And historically, there's been a 100% cap on that for Medicaid beneficiaries. Uh, and that cap beginning in January goes away. So that means specifically for insulin companies, and we talk about others as well, if you look back in time, they've had historically uh, significant price increases well above the rate of inflation. And so really the exposure to these companies was was relatively significant uh, and they'd be for at least for medicaid beneficiaries be paying significant dollars every time that script was filled so the really the solution was to lower the list price and a result of that was well that's going to impact pharmacies because if you look at the preferred agents on a lot of these part d formularies these are the products that are taking significant you know 65 to 78% price decreases and then you look at that across their whole business line, and it's, you know, on average, probably about 6% of their revenue. And that's going to be dropped 75%. These are highly profitable products today for these pharmacies to dispense. And so they're going to wake up January 1st, be doing the same thing, and get significantly less for it. And then the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, is really what sort of caps that $35 insulin pricing. So I think the big question is, is really helping these pharmacies understand what that impact really is because it is significant. And then from there, it's how do we solve this? What can we do? So that's really the driver behind this. And, and the short answer is, is 
we've got to figure out ways to to offset these significant losses that are coming because you know every time you turn around the pharmacies are being impacted some way somehow and i think with the insulins specifically we've got to figure out you know how that's going to affect not just our reimbursement but also from a wholesaler standpoint does that have impact on that from a gpo standpoint and the upfront discounts do we have you know impacts on that and i think the answer to all of these is yes it's just what is it so i think that's really what we've been spending the last 5 or 6 months really educating and advocating and really trying to help these pharmacies understand what's what's coming you know we just had a meeting with us aging and we're doing you know a big project with them on vaccines and one of the pharmacies that was on our advisory team was talking about the vaccines that they were selecting for their vaccine clinics recognizing that insurance providers and Medicare will reimburse for the different vaccines. In the older population, there's new vaccines, the high-dose vaccines or the uh, adjuvant vaccines. They're more expensive and they reimburse better. So when he does vaccine clinics, those are the vaccines he chooses to use. And he's not afraid to talk about it. And I think that's one thing that as pharmacists and pharmacies, we can't be afraid to talk about is what are the best agents for our patients? And, you know, we've been so insulated and sort of locked out of the pricing discussion that we almost have to take the position that everybody else is working on pricing. We're not, we're not involved in that. We're going to work on what's best for the patient. And if that's a higher price medication and that medication is reimbursed, that's what we're going to try to move patients towards. It's not because we're trying to gouge anybody. It's because we're trying to deliver the best care for the patient. And I think when you have a lot of that align, like it does in vaccines, like it does, as we'll talk about with diabetes, we can't be afraid to do it because there wasn't a lot of consideration for pharmacies when this plan was enacted and when this effort was taken. The politicians are only worried about what the public perceives so if the public perceives, hey, there's no more co-pays on vaccines, so they're free to us, they say hooray, and the legislators and the politicians say hooray, and the same thing rings true with the <laughs> insulin thing, is that, well, the patients who now are completely isolated from what really what the cost of these things are, are happy, so we're happy. And people forget about the whole supply chain and the pharmacies in particular when it comes to that. So true, so accurate, and I think we just we lose sight of all the value that actually takes place through that, you know, from manufacturer down to the end user. And it's just like when you really think about what happened on the insulin pricing, we essentially cut out all of these, all these entities that were bringing significant value to that patient. And you know, now it's like that those dollars are gone. And yes, it's great. We we definitely want to dispense the most clinically appropriate product to the patient, but we've always been sensitive on cost. And I think to your point, Jay, we've, you know, we've got to look at things and align a little bit differently and find other innovative ways to be more efficient, but we've, you know, losing this revenue. And then you start looking at just outside of the insulins, right? There's other products that kind of had increases above that rate of inflation that, again, going back to the American Rescue Plan Act, these implications in the short term are probably going to be more significant and painful for the pharmacy community than the Inflation Reduction Act. And then once we get through this, we've got to start shifting focus and finding ways to advocate, align, come together and, and figure out what that strategy looked like. Because I think standing still is not an answer, is not an option. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have 
no pharmacies left in 2026 when these are all implemented. Yep. So you think of things like Simbacort, there's, you know, there's likely there's likely going to be a decrease on Simbacort. There's Pradaxa that we just saw, likely some other BI products that'll take some some decreases. We're hearing things like Creon are going to take these are and when you think about pharmacies, I mean, we dispense 91, 92% of the prescriptions out the door generic, but yet, you know, we still make our gross margin dollars on that eight or 9% of brands. And so to see all of these and hear all of these products taken reductions, a lot of these products are utilized in the LTC setting quite frequently. So it's, there's a, you know, I have a lot of concern about that. And, you know, I think that's where we really need to start aligning, collaborating and advocating as, as one entity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Matt, you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act a couple of times, and that list has uh, recently been published. Back to the insulins, Novolog was on there, but but not the not the Humulin. So I don't know uh, the inside scope that uh, Eli Lilly had with that. But there's a lot of other long-term care specific drugs, Eliquis, Zeralto, things that are really in that long-term care population, and. Yeah, I, I understand that this isn't going to go into effect until until 2026, and the insulins are going to go into effect January. But as you guys are working through all this and trying to measure maybe three to five year lookouts and in, in, in returns, what kind of message are you sending to your pharmacies about? Hey, what do we do? Do we shift our formulary? Do we, you know, are we looking at things that are coming out to the market, or kind of what is the strategy or plan for for pharmacies? Great question. And, you know, I think we've got to figure out what those solutions are. I think as you referenced that that recently published list, it's I think what was interesting is we kind of thought there would be about five or six drugs that were highly utilized. We, we kind of knew what most of them were going to look like, but they did throw a few curveballs out there. And really, seven or eight of these products are heavily utilized in long-term care. The Novolog piece, I can't answer that one because that price is reducing 75% here in the very near future. So I'm not sure how that one ended up on there without the others. Uh, you saw Entresto show up. I wasn't really expecting that one to be on there. So as you look at this, I think there's a couple of elements that we kind of really got to focus on. One, you guys probably saw there's six lawsuits likely more to follow with several pharma companies suing HHS over the constitutionality of this, you know, understanding whether any of those suits and complaints have merit to be determined, right? Those were just filed in the recent months. So there's there's a lot, lot of time between now and, and how those play out. So really staying in tune with what all that means. And if, you know, and then you've got a big election year coming up next year. So does that play into account? But I think I, we can't sit and wait for those to kind of materialize. We have to really look at ways right now we can be more efficient. And I think there's pharmacy operations components of that. But as I look at this, look at the reimbursement model, right? We've got another, you've got another acronym out there, MFG, maximum fair price or MFP. If that's the new basis of reimbursement and not this AWP or WAC basis, I think, you know, we may have some opportunities to sort of get out in front of this. And that's the alignment component of everything is when you think of long-term care, it's a small industry, yet it's it's a significant industry when you think about who we take care of and the vulnerability of these, these residents and the number of medications they're on and the complex regimens they're on. And I think alignment is important because we we may need to change how we contract upstream. It may not be the status quo that it's been since Part D's come out. So I think 
that creates opportunity, which is exciting. But can we get on a level playing field with the PBMs? I, I mean, I don't know. I think this is our best shot of doing so. And I think there's a couple other things that, you know, as an industry, we've got to come together. One of those being advocacy efforts. I, I don't think we do a great job. I think we have AFCP who does an excellent job. We've got the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition. I think we need more LTC pharmacy engagement and involvement in these industry efforts. And now is the best time for that because we we have some time here. Whereas we, you know, historically have been reactionary. I think we have to come together and really focus and understand how we can affect these change. Because if, if we don't, then I, I have some concern for where we're going. Yeah, I think the financial aspect of this is the driver. Even though it's counterintuitive that when when it gets more financially difficult, you would think that organizations and pharmacists themselves pull back from being part of national groups and advocacy. But the reality is that's really the time to, to lean in because that's how you get some of that back, whether it's in terms of a policy like you were talking about, Matt. Or if it's in terms of an approach or a procedure, this is when we need each other the most. We have to be able to share what's working. I know that everybody's heard me talk about the vaccine opportunity. You know, that's a positive revenue generating opportunity for long-term care pharmacies that they're going to want to lean that direction Absolutely. because it's, it's going to help fill this hole that's going to be created by some of these other issues like the $35 insulin. I also think it's, you know, it's typical government. It's wholly complex, which means there's plenty of opportunity to find the loopholes and the workarounds. And we'll do that as an industry and, and we'll do that together and find those. But it also is sort of backwards. Like if you think about diabetes management today, it's changed a lot in the last 10 years. We're no longer trying to you know, micromanage somebody's diabetes to drive that blood glucose or that hemoglobin A1C as low as possible because we know that those older adults are a little bit more fragile than the general population. And we're not really worried about long-term complications in a 75-year-old. We're worried about having a hypoglycemic episode and falling and, and the outcome of, of that. We don't have to get their A1C to 5%. We can be okay at 7 7.5%, even 8%. So when we look at how do you replace insulins, maybe the answer all along has been, you know, we need to be kind of shying away from insulin unless we have to use it. Maybe we should use some of these other agents that are less risky for them, maybe more convenient, maybe more ultimately successful at getting us to the right goal, but not necessarily putting them at risk for some of the adverse events and consequences of really strictly controlled blood glucose. And right or wrong, those medications are newer. They are they have a high public approval and they generate the kinds of revenue that would support pharmacies activities. So they're more expensive. But it's tough to argue that you shouldn't be using them because they do have all those other factors. So it gets me back to that comment about the vaccine, the pharmacist and the vaccine program that was saying, I picked the the vaccines that give me the best return when I administer them because that's what supports my business. We have to say the same approach with some of these other conditions. It's again, it's not a tough argument to look at a GLP-1 inhibitor that you give to somebody once a week. It helps them lose weight. It manages their diabetes. Maybe it reduces their need for insulin. Maybe they don't need insulin at all if they're using it. And ultimately, it's better for the pharmacy. We can't be bashful about those kinds of conversations and, and efforts. There's so much. I, I get optimism when you talk about that. I get yeah. excited. 
because these are kind of blockbuster drugs. If you think about you know, going back to sliding scale and you know everything you mentioned on the on the type two diabetes patient, and you think about the staffing issues. I mean, it's, it's difficult in a nursing home. We see what's happening in the nursing home space. I mean, the pharmacies are equally as challenged with getting and, and staffing appropriately. And to think about not just a better medication with better clinical outcomes, like we've been so focused on costs sometimes. And like, I'm proud of the industry for doing that. We've always tried to reduce medications and try to save money where we can because it saves everybody money. But we have a, a more expensive product that's economically better, that's clinically appropriate and better, better outcomes. And so I get excited about this because that we need to focus on that. And we need to probably, similar to vaccine programs, they need to start looking at this too. And, you know, maybe there's a, a stronger or more granular focus on looking at all the diabetic patients, both current and patients or residents that, you know, are, are newly diagnosed and getting them on the right therapy from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one of the, I always tell this story about, they used to give away insulin R, which is just regular insulin <laughs> yeah. at the hospital. Yeah, yeah. They'd be like all of the homeless people, the people that are destitute that come into our hospital, we, we give them free insulin R. And I'm like, I mean, you literally give them the most complex medication at the highest risk to the most vulnerable person. And you're kind of patting yourself on the back about it. Like that's not helping. When we think about long-term care pharmacy services at home and we talk about some of the people that we used to take care of in nursing homes now being cared for in a community setting, even in, as individuals in their home, the kind of medications they need are these once weekly, easy to use, effective medications, not handing them a vial of even basal insulin. Those are much tougher medications to manage, particularly if you're doing it by yourself and not with a, a caregiver that's helping you through it. So again, we have to be smart about making good clinical decisions, again, irrespective of what the price of a medication is and more geared toward what's the best thing for this person and get back to that patient-centered approach, which, you know, to your point, Matt, we became reliant on insulins. We use them a lot. But I think we probably leaned a little bit too far. We were a little bit too aggressive. And there's a lot of patients out there that don't really need insulin that could use some of these other products. Now, there are, I mean, I don't want to tell people that insulin is not important. It is. There are people that have to have insulin to survive. But there are a lot of type 2 diabetics, people that have obesity, that have, that have developed diabetes that can be managed on other products than insulin. And, and we need to look and make sure that we're doing the most efficient job. Matt, my... Uh... Question, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, noise that we've been seeing and hearing all over the place with PBMs. There's been a lot of attention, a lot of conversation, rightfully so, on PBMs and kind of how they, they do things. We get a lot of noise in, in Congress. And I think now, I mean, maybe two years ago, most Congressmen and women didn't know what a PBM was. I think now they all know. So tell me from your perspective or, or SPS's perspective, kind of what you're seeing and hearing about the attention that PPMs are getting and kind of wave a magic wand of what you think, if anything positive, <laughs> is going to happen for pharmacies. My magic eight ball prediction there. Yeah. That's right. I think finally there's, there's a tremendous amount of traction inside the Beltway right now around some sort of PBM reform. You've got bipartisan support on it. Uh, I think you've got like five or six different bills now. So at some point, these got to sort of consolidate into one here and 
then it's got to get passed, right? So I think, you know, you look at the simple stuff like DIR fees. Like, I think we all agree that over the years, like these DIR fees didn't make sense. But just because they fix it doesn't mean that the pharmacies are going to see a benefit from it, right? Okay, we paid you $10 and we took back five. Now we're just going to pay you five now. Yeah, right. So I, I think we need to, like, that doesn't solve the problem. But at the same time, there is some traction. I think there could be some benefits that come out of it. I think when you look at PBM and specifically the Inflation Reduction Act and tie it there, I think with a lot of the shift or risk being pushed back to the health plan and away from CMS, I think you're going to see more restrictions in benefit design. So I think that just means and is going to result in even greater prior authorizations. And what's one of the biggest pain points and where we spend so much manual time and effort and labor uh, in a pharmacy. I mean, PAs, I mean, used to be we could handle these pretty quickly. Now we've got to have FTEs, multiple, depending upon your size, just handling PAs. So I'm concerned about that. But I think the legislation could get us, I think a lot of the PBM reform could, we could see some benefits specifically around, you know, how we're reimbursed and compensated, looking at it from an ingredient cost and an appropriate dispensing fee, as opposed to this whole Mac where, you know, going back to some comments I made earlier, uh, you know, 90, 91, 92% of the meds we dispense are generic. And I'd say a majority of those, at the end of the day, we're probably losing money on. So it could give us, you know, I look at that as an opportunity for us to, again, contract in a way, in a manner that we actually are compensated appropriately for the services we provide. And I think that's probably where we need to spend a lot of time and focus on. And again, it goes back to alignment, collaboration, getting involved, advocating. And I know I've harped on that two or three times today, but I I can't stress the importance of us as an industry coming together and really aligning on these initiatives and make sure we're delivering a a similar and consistent message, whether we're on the East Coast, West Coast, whoever we're talking to from a lawmaker or Congress standpoint. But now is really the time for us to get really get involved because there's just a lot of moving pieces and a lot of opportunity for us to sort of affect change. Well, with these changes or, or potential changes for PBMs, with IRA coming out, there's a lot of conversation out there for pharmacy operations that rebates are, are going to go away or Med-A rebates are going to go away. And there's been just a lot of those type of conversations. And of course, it's, you know, some of it's chicken little, you know, that, the, you know, m- mentality. But, you know, they're just looking at the here's the one or two areas left that I'm actually making money from. And, and now that's probably going to go away, too. So what's your guys' thoughts or, or comments on that? When you think of, re- like, there's so many health plans. I mean, rebates have been around for a while, and I, I just can't see them going away, right? I mean, obviously, insulin's high gross to net, high list price, big old rebate. We're going to see some impact to that category. Does that kind of carry over in other buckets? It, it could. I, I don't think rebates will be going away. doesn't feel like it. I think there's just too much addiction to them. But at the same time, it's there is that concern that they could, right? The challenge when you think of the Part A rebates is these rebates, we took an unmanaged market six, seven years ago when this whole concept started coming out, and we started managing it. And pharmacies had to take steps and change processes and manage plan designs and implement formularies. And this was all really good. And what was great about this is this revenue stream was significant, and we've been able to lower costs to the nursing home, which in turn lowers costs to the government. It's this win-win the problem is, is we've been kind of more in the transparent model of all this where, hey, here's the dollars flowing. And we've actually been showing and demonstrating all the way down 
that we've been able to lower the cost of drugs. And I think, unfortunately, you know, the misnomer is, is oh, drug costs in nursing homes are going up. No, I would argue the opposite. And I'd argue with the American Rescue Plan Act and everything and the reduction on some of these branded products coming online, nursing homes are going to see even more of a reduction in price. So I think it's important that pharmacies, you know, can communicate this effectively. But I think from an overall generality of Part D rebates, commercial plan rebates, self-insured health plan rebates, I just don't see them going away. Um, Certainly, there could be some impact based on how and what formularies that the plan's sponsors decide to adopt. But if you remember a couple of years ago, the PBMs put out models as options. Hey, here's a rebate-driven model and here's a non-rebate-driven model. And, you know, there was very little adoption of the no-rebate model um, because they, you know, at the end of the day, they do try to use these rebates to drive down health plans. And I know it's convoluted and there's a lack of transparency. And certainly with some of this PBM reform, more transparency may help. So that's kind of my two cents on it. I feel like I don't see them going away, but certainly, you know, when you see what happens with the insulin, there's going to be an impact to it, right? But I mean, arguably, okay, you've got you've got price parity on these insulins, but you you take a Lilly product and a Novo product that you know are identical, you still got to cover one of them, right? So they're still going to have to compete yeah. for what formulary products on there. So there still may be something in there. Yeah, we're still we're still shifting market share towards one one formulary drug or another, and we can still control that through the clinical programs. Absolutely, exactly. Well, Matt, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being on. I know that we have our meeting coming up at the end of October in Orlando. You can go to ASCP.com slash annual and register for that. But you also at SPSL have a meeting in October in Las Vegas. If you don't want to say anything about that. A shameless plug. Yeah, we do, Chad. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, right. So we, we're having our second annual SPS Health Conference. We'll be held out in Las Vegas October 11th and 12th. And I think really the agenda for this is is going to be a look at ways to, to really start planning, preparing, and finding ways to prosper through this, right? I mean, when they start taking dollars out of the middle, we got to start fighting for the dollars. You know, for years, it's been follow the dollar, follow the dollar. Now it's fight for the dollar. So we've got a great panel of speakers. Uh, Chad, you'll be one of those speakers. So we're looking forward to having you, but we'll have another, you know, we have another nice list of speakers that we're looking forward to communicating and and really working together and collaboratively to finding ways to solve and get out in front of some of these, these headwinds that face us. And, you know, I still see a lot of optimism in this. I think standing still, and it, it can be doom and gloom when you just look at all these things that come out. But at the end of the day, I think you know, we're working on solutions. We're looking on a alternative revenue models. And I think we've got a few things up our sleeves that'll, that'll help kind of change the game and narrative and, and hopefully find some ways for these pharmacies to continue to thrive uh, into the future. Well, I'll circle back to one of your main themes of the day, and that is, you know, we're going to be talking about this at your meeting, certainly at ASCP, throughout different meetings this last quarter of 2023, and there's going to be a lot of dialogue and a lot of need for all of us to share wins so we can move forward and a lot of opportunity to collaborate and and work on the same advocacy. So I appreciate those comments. We'll continue to do our part, and hopefully everybody out there participates in this discussion because it's so critical for our long-term care pharmacists and pharmacies. Thanks so much, guys. I agree, Chad. We'll be, we'll be aligned. We'll be aligned and in lockstep with you. So we're all in this together. That's right. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode of Our Experience.